You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. And thanks for being here this morning. My name is Dean, I'm the pastor at City Church. Also, hello to everyone watching online at home. We're in a series called Certain, where we're looking at the significance of what it means to be certain of God's love for us. What is it? Hopefully, an encouraging sermon series to you. Help you understand how you can also be certain of where you stand with God, of your status with God. I think one of the most important things for us as believers is that we can be absolutely certain of what God thinks of us, of where we now stand with him, of his love for us. We talked last week that not only does God love us, which is incredible, that he likes us too. He actually likes us, he delights in us, the scriptures tell us. Uh, So I'm encouraged by this series myself, preparing for it, just reading over and over again through the scriptures and through quotes of theologians and Bible scholars who have gone before us, talking about the significance of what it means to be loved and kept by God himself. There is an old practice, an old superstition that goes, uh, that has French origins, and you've probably seen it before. It uh, usually uses a daisy, the flower, and someone will peel off the petals when they might like someone, have a crush on someone, and they'll say, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. And the superstition is when you get to the very last petal, you'll know whether or not the person that you desire or the person that you like, whatever it might be, whether or not that person loves you in return. Well, the good news for us as Christians is we never have to ask the question, does he love me or love me not? Does God love me or love me not? Because we're actually told that God loved us first. That we weren't the ones that were trying to love God ourselves, it was the opposite. We did not love God, but thankfully God in his grace loved us. And now in return, we are called to love him. And the question we asked from last week is from Romans chapter eight, verse 35. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Like what man-made thing, what caused thing, from affliction to disease, to pandemics, to strife, to conflict, like what can separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is nothing, no one. Absolutely nothing in this world including ourselves and our own actions, can separate us from the love of Christ. We must understand that to be certain of God's love cannot be answered answered sentimentally. It must be answered biblically. It must be answered theologically. And the reason we can be certain of our standing with God and of his unwavering, unchanging love for us is because of what he's promised and what he's already done. What he's promised us, that he will make a people, he will redeem a people to himself, and how he's actually done that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that ultimately all things we made new again when Christ returns to redeem his people once and for all. J.I. Packer, an author who's had a big influence on me, wrote this. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, That sounds important. As a Christian, I want to understand Christianity. Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. 
For in fact, Father is the Christian name for God. Not an imperfect father like every dad in this room, but our perfect, flawless, heavenly father. This morning from Romans chapter eight, we're gonna be talking about the doctrine of adoption. The doctrine of adoption. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, that adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. That we go from wayward sinners to cherished children. That God loves his kids, his sons and daughters, and every single one of them became his children through adoption. That is how it actually happened. It means that God, by his grace, has made believers members of his actual family, and that is not just some kind of technicality or just some sort of, uh, I guess you could say, you know, sentimental idea of, oh, you know, we're God's kids. No, it gives us all the rights and responsibilities that go with the status of belonging to God, being his children, and having him as our father. The children are heirs to their parents. They have all the rights that it means to be part of that family, and that's what's true of us as children of God. Romans chapter eight, Paul wrote this. He just told us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ in verse one. He flushes that out a little bit to tell us how that happened. We covered that last week. He says, so then, there's a response to that good news. Brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. Jesus said there's a wide road that leads to destruction. It's covered with the world. Now that we are no longer people of the flesh, we should not live as people of the flesh. The flesh is the way of death. He says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the Holy Spirit renews us, it kills our old self, you will live. So there's God's way or the world's way. The world's way leads to death and God's way leads to life. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But no, our salvation did something. God's redemption did something. He says, instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, this sacred name for God that means father, daddy. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, God's son. If indeed we suffer with him, which we do and will, we also, we have that identification with him. We have that heir with him. In the same way, we'll also be glorified with him. We then will receive what he receives. That we have these incredible, now, rights and privileges as God's children. John Calvin wrote this, never will a man freely open his mouth to praise God unless he is fully persuaded that God, even when he is angry with his people, never lays aside his fatherly affection towards them. That even when God is angry, and he does get angry with his people, he never stops delighting in them. He never stops loving them. 
He never for even the slightest moment stops being their father. In the same way if you have children, maybe you remember your parents with you. There are times you do get angry. There are times you do correct them. There are times we can just add different words. You get frustrated, whatever it might be, but you never for a moment stop loving them. You never for a moment have them no longer be your kids because now they belong to you. They are in your family. What can separate us from that, God is asking? And the answer is nothing. Packer, who I quoted earlier, he was asked if he could summarize the gospel in just three words. Like, what is the gospel? Give us a three-word summary. Maybe you can ask that question in your own head. If I was gonna give three words to define the gospel, what would it be? It might be easy to think that it's something like, God is love. Well, that's important. That's a good thing to say about God, and it's a true thing to say about God, but what does that mean for us? I mean, that God loves me, okay, but is there anything more than that? Does it go deeper than that? Is there any substance to that? Is it just kind of generic, up in the eye, or up in the air kind of idea? Here's what Packer said, he says, this is the gospel in three words, adoption through propitiation. Like, this is the gospel. Adoption through propitiation. He adds that, I do not ever expect to find a richer or more pregnant summary of the gospel than that. But what is propitiation? It's kind of a big theological word. It's God's righteous anger against sinners that becomes fully satisfied by his righteous son's substitutionary death and vindicating resurrection. Jesus absorbs God's wrath in our place and we are reconciled to God, we're made right, we're forgiven of our sins and then ultimately we are adopted into God's family. Adopted into his family. Do you know what God's GoFundMe account is for your adoption? It's the blood of Christ and an empty tomb. This is how he brings you into his family. Gavin Ortland, a pastor in California, wrote this. I find acceptance by the Father, a new family in heaven and on earth, incentive to live for God and a bright hope for tomorrow. The doctrine of adoption is as warm as the Bible gets. I can hardly think of anything more comforting, more nourishing, more uplifting than the glorious truth that when we trust in Christ, we are made into the sons and daughters of the creator, God. The doctrine of adoption is like the fuzzy socks at Christmas time of the faith. I mean, just think of warm and comforting. I mean, just think of those things. Like this is our reality as people when it comes to our relationship with God if we are in Christ. That's why Paul would say to the Romans, as he's summarizing everything he's telling them, he says, what then, verse 31, what then are we to say about these things? Like how do we respond to all of this good news? And the reality is that if God's for us, who is against us? Like God is for us and he builds the case for why that is. He says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that the spirit testifies we've been adopted that we have the spirit of adoption, that we cry out, Abba, Father, that these are all realities for us, that we belong to God's family. In verse, you know, verse 28, it says that God's working all things together for the good of those who love him, 
Verse 29, that he, those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Verse 30 says that those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, one day he'll glorify. And the next verse, what do we say about this? Like, how do we respond as this, as Christians? How do we respond to this good news? And he says, guess what? If God's for us, and clearly, I just gave you so much ink, Roman Christians, of how he is for us, then who in the world can be against us? And why does it matter if they are? Because here's what God has done. And here's who God is. John Owen described adoption as the great and fountain privilege of salvation in Christ. John Murray wrote that adoption is the apex of grace and privilege with God. John, very early in his gospel, writing about the life of Jesus, in chapter one said, but to all who receive him, who become believers, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, you're not born into God's family, you're born again into God's family or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God, that God is who makes us born into his family. Not our biological birth. That every person in the room who is a Christian can only claim God as father, and themselves a daughter of God or a son of God, because God himself has adopted them. We trust Christ as redeemer in order to be included in God's family. We trust Christ as redeemer in order to be included in God's family. To have been adopted indicates that we were at one time not in God's family. I mean, think about an earthly adoption. A child comes into a family. When you adopt a child, you don't just bring a child home, even though that is a wonderful thing. That child becomes a smith becomes a Thompson, becomes a Crawford, becomes a Johnson. They become a part of that family as if they were born into the family. Every right, every privilege, everything it means to be a son or daughter of those parents is now true of that child forever. Legally, positionally, practically, that all these things become true. But before the child came home, they, they weren't a part of the family yet. It wasn't their fault, they didn't choose their circumstances. But by the grace of God that the, the birth mother chose adoption, or maybe someone, someone brought them in in the process and they were not part of the family, but now they are 100% and then some part of this family. And adoption is unique to Christianity in terms of the doctrine that we can call God Father. That's unthinkable in other theistic religions. There's no such concept of God as Father in Islam. It just doesn't exist. The thought's unthinkable. Packer said that adopted status belongs to all who receive Christ. That's referencing John chapter one. The adopted status of believers means that in and through Christ, you know, God, God loves us as he loves his only begotten son. We get to share with him. That's from Romans 8 about the spirit and the heirs. We get to share with him all the glory that is Christ now. And that here and now in this moment that believers are under God's fatherly care and discipline. 
We're directed to live our whole lives in light of the knowledge of God that he is our Father. That's what drives us now. That's what compels us. That's what gives us reason to live for the Lord, is we want to be good sons and daughters, not to earn his favor, but because we've been adopted into his family. And love is the reason that we are given and God's own glory to make his name great in redemption for God's adoption of people like us. No longer do we need to be afraid of sin anymore as believers in terms of that separating us from God. No longer do we need to be trapped by loneliness or unsure of our salvation. Paul said, you are sons. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave, but a son. See, to be adopted is not just to be a part of God's family, but part of his big plan. A plan that began before our idea of time even existed. And a plan that'll keep unfolding for all eternity. It's important to know that God did not casually or accidentally adopt you. You didn't end up on his doorstep. It wasn't a stork that dropped you off in the morning on the front porch. You see, human adoption, earthly adoption, is a great image to understand, theological adoption, but at the same time, it's incomplete. Because a child who was adopted, they did not choose the pre-adoption circumstances they lived in for themselves. These are innocent children that did not ask to be orphans. We were not innocent children who didn't ask to be orphans. We were people who rebelled against our creator, who have sinned against him. They said, God, I don't want you as father, I want myself as father. Like, I want to be in charge of me. Like, I want to control what I want to control. I don't want you, I want your stuff instead. In other words, God, no to you, yes to the world. But right now, we can choose as Christians to love God because he first loved us. That he pursued us and called us and forgave us and through his death brought us into his family as if we had never sinned. So even though human adoption is a beautiful understanding and portrait of our adoption in Christ, it's incomplete because God has adopted people who make no sense whatsoever to have a part of your family because all we ever did before was say no to him. And now in Christ we can say yes. Did you know that God chose you before you even did good or evil? How incredible is that? It's based on him, not on us. I love this verse from 1 John, this, this, these words, please hear them. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him, we can be certain of that. We have a union with Christ and he and God, our status is secure. And we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God wants you to believe the love he has for you. He wants you to actually in faith believe that. Not some abstract concept or something to make you feel better on a bad day, but a living doctrine of truth that comes from the scriptures that your creator loves you. And went to great lengths not to say that, but to secure that, to display that, and to show that. I want you to be certain of the fact that God loves you. Certain of it. One writer wrote this, that 
your adoption did not culminate with a gavel, but with a cross. One of my favorite things that happens in American adoption especially, uh, overseas sometimes you might not be able to get exactly all the, the pictures you want and those type of things because of all the things happening at once and spiraling but, or, or surrounding you. One thing you see they'll appear on Facebook, Instagram, things like that is once an adoption is finalized, you'll often see the family in the courtroom with the judge and their child. And the judge always looks really happy too. It's kind of nice for the judge, I'm sure, who always has to deal with negativity all the time and all these things actually have a joyful case you know, to preside over. It's always just a really neat, you know, just a neat picture to see of the family with the judge, everybody's happy, grandparents there, everybody there. It's like this wonderful kind of thing. And, and that's how I really want you to see the Christian life. Like if you now having this picture with God and that God is smiling and taking delight in what he has done, what he has presided over and what he has actually made happen. But he didn't do it by signing a piece of paper or nailing a gavel on the ground. He didn't do it under the authority of the state of Florida. He did it through a cross and an empty tomb. So we don't stand before God in our adoption as acquitted criminals, but as a son or a daughter. How incredible is that? And that's why Paul asked this question. Who can bring an accusation? This is all in the flow of Romans. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? And the answer is a lot of people do but he's asking it in a way of, who, who cares what they say? The voices in your head that tell you things like, you, got, you could lose God's love, you shouldn't come to church because of the past mistakes in your life. What if they knew about me? I can't go because they'll judge me. I, you know what, that's the world's wisdom coming at you. When God says, who, who could bring an accusation against my people? If all these other things are true about them, why? Because God's the one who justifies. God's the one who has declared your verdict and it is not guilty because Christ who had never sinned was guilty in your place. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None, we've been adopted. We had the spirit that testifies for us as an advocate for us proclaiming that God is our father. We had the spirit of adoption that we have received. If that is true, then if he's for us, then, then who can be against us? Who, who can bring an accusation against God's people? And the answer is nobody. Because God's the one with a gavel. And the gavel was answered. The verdict through a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Like that is his GoFundMe page for you in our adoption, and it's secure forever. So I want you to be certain of God's love for you because you can be certain that he is a, perfectly, a perfect heavenly father who has brought you in a very costly manner into his family. And because of that, you have every privilege and right that comes with a family member of any earthly family, but even greater, because God is the one who owns cattle on thousands and thousands of hills. And now he's telling us that you're a part of that family. 
and your inheritance is glory forever and ever. So all the things that may go on in our, in our world right now, if it's fear over a virus, if it's unrest just in society, if it's injustice, anxiety about the future, here's something we can be certain of. We are the children of God in Christ. So if he's for us, then who can be against us? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect, against God's people, against God's church? And the answer is no one, because God's the one who has all this. He's the one who decides. And he has decided decisively in Christ where you stand with him if you're a Christian. That by faith you've repented of your sins, and that is you are not guilty, you are part of his family, you are an heir to all his things. So if you're here today and you're not sure where you stand with God, what would it look like for you to become certain? To actually become someone who is a child of God? People like to say things like, well, we're all God's kids, and that's just, but that sounds nice. That's not true. That's not true. We become God's kids through adoption. And that shouldn't offend, that should invite you to come be a part of his family. The invitation is there for you to do that. You might not be willing to become a Christian because all your questions haven't been answered yet, and I, I think answering questions is really important. But I've rarely ever met a Christian, if ever, who said something like, well, I'm not a Christian because natural disasters happen, and if God was a good God, they, hurricanes wouldn't happen and earthquakes and that type of thing. And, I think it's really important to answer questions and to work through those kind of things. The Bible actually commands us to do that, commands us to do that, but I've never met someone before who was like, you know what, um, I'm not a Christian because of that. Well, here's a book called Why Bad Things Happen, and then the next day they're getting baptized. I've never met that person before. Now, many people become believers through reasoning through things, I'm not trying to say that. But you know why adults usually become Christians? Because it gets personal. They become aware of their need to be forgiven of their sins and all of a sudden realize that they have a love available to them that is a perfect love that passes anything of this world, surpasses all understanding, and they finally respond to that rather than stubbornly resisting it over and over again. Another reason adults don't become Christians is because maybe they're scared of what it's gonna mean for their life. That's gonna mean things have to change. And my encouragement to you is that let God do that work. And be not mistaken, to be a part of God's family does not mean you live like the world before you became a part of the family. Everything about you now changes. The Holy Spirit indwells your life, makes you new. But there's a cost to following Jesus. There is. And it's that I'm no longer God, functionally in my mind. That now I yield to his authority. But how non-begrudging is that when you realize that you've been adopted by his grace? into a perfect heavenly father who now calls you his own. So after the service, we have people up here uh, from our staff and they will have their masks on. Here at our Sunday morning masquerade ball we have called City Church uh, for uh, this season. And they will answer any questions you have, we'll pray with you. Like, I don't want you to leave today without being certain of where you stand with God. Certain where you stand with God. Why, why waste a few extra minutes to come up here? And that's not some kind of hocus pocus, but the process of starting and helping you understand what it means to be known by God, adopted in his family, called his own. And here's you don't realize, that tug is happening in your heart right now, that's God. And you don't even realize that's probably a tug that's been happening in your whole life. What would it look like to say, not I, but Christ? 
Like cry uncle, I surrender, like I- I'm done, I'm done. How cool it'd be if someone got baptized here in a few weeks because of a decision they made today about being adopted into God's family, the one who offers us that invitation by his grace. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect, man? Some of y'all have had so many accusations thrown at you. If you're in Christ, God's accusation is not guilty. Not guilty. So why not surrender to him today? And if you're a believer in this room, why not be certain of that today? If God's for us, who can be against us? So there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The gospel in three words, adoption through propitiation, and praise God for that. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your love for us. We're thankful that we as a church can sing songs like we're about to sing, that we are, that I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I ask that'll be a reality for people here today. Those who already know you, they'll proclaim that with certainty and have confidence. Uh, For those who maybe have forgotten that, that they'll return to you today. And for those who've never been able to claim that with certainty because of unbelief or waywardness or rebellion or just feeling rejected, whatever it might be, that maybe today will be a new day for them. They can sing a new song in their lives about their father and the love that you have for us in Christ. We know that it's not a sentimental love, that it was a costly love. That you don't just tell us, you showed us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So I pray for our church, for our community. Lord, I ask you build our churches back, that we can get back to the place of normalcy sooner than later. We ask you stop the spread of this virus. You be with those who currently have it. We pray for the injustice happening in our country and the concerns about race and the strife and the animosity and the grief and all the things that are happening. We ask for your healing concerning these things. And we pray that the church will be stronger because the one who builds it will make it that way. We trust in you, we depend on you, and we rejoice that you are our Father. You are our Father, and you have purchased your children and brought us into your family through adoption. What an incredible reality. We thank you for all this in the name of Christ. Amen, let's stand together and sing that we are the children of God, which is great news for all of us. And again, after the service, available up here. Talk with someone, pray with someone today.